out of um, the book that we're in, God's Space, that our D groups are doing. And so it's a very practical, um, the book itself is a very practical um, treatment of what we're talking about every Sunday. So if you didn't get it from what Abby just read, we're going to be talking about the woman at the well. I've taught on that passage many times, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective. It's a well-known encounter that Jesus had, maybe one of his best-known encounters. You don't have to even have been in the church to know the story of the woman at the well, but um, we're going to look at it and see how Jesus teaches us to listen well, because that's that's what the, the, the theme of today is about, is how do we, we just, we just spent the last hour, um, how do I say this, um, confident that Christ heard us. Right? We don't have to wonder if God hears us. His word says he bends his ear low, he inclines his ear to us. Right? Now the question becomes, is as people who have his ear, do we have the ears he has to listen to other people? And that's what we're going to look at today. So to sort of help us all see our need, we're going to take a look at the first talking points question. It's on the back, and I'll tell you what to do with that big space underneath in just a minute. But it's on the back of your um, training truce, and it says, When was the last time you listened to someone in a non-judgmental, agenda-free, and compassionate way? How do we unknowingly make this an all-too-rare occurrence even among one another? So I'm not just talking about us listening to the unbelieving world. I'm even talking about the conversations that happen in your own homes. Because what we're going to talk about today will be very practical for your marriages, for your parenting, if you're a young person, for how you interact with your siblings. This will be a very practical time because we all need to get better at listening. And the better listeners we become the better we get at actually communicating what really matters. So, here's what you're going to do. We're going to go through 16 questions, and every answer only has like a letter. So you're just going to, you're going to number one, so put a number one, and here's the question. So you're going you're gonna to respond this way, rarely, occasionally, often, usually. You're not going to have time to write it, the whole word, so figure out your own little system for using R for rarely, OC for occasionally, OF for often, and um, U for usually, because we're going to go through these, these rapidly. So here's what you're going to do. When others are talking to me, I find myself finishing their sentences. Do you do that rarely, occasionally? Do you do it often or usually? Which would be, in other words, the saying like all the time. Right? So give yourself a, a grade for that. Number two, I give my opinions before hearing them out. Again, give yourself the score. Rarely, occasionally, um, often or usually. Number three, I get restless and impatient. Remember, while I'm listening to others, I get restless and impatient. Do you do that Rarely, occasionally, usually, or often or usually. Number four, I lose track of what is being said. Number five, I fidget with objects or glance at my phone. Number six, I mentally rehearse what I'm going to say next. So as you're listening to somebody else speak, you're thinking about what am I, how am I going to respond. Number seven, I take control of the conversation. Number eight, I interrupt with frequent comments or questions. 
Number nine, I am suspicious of hidden agendas. Number ten, I try to immediately diagnose their problems. Number eleven, I worry about how to respond instead of listening. Number twelve, I tell them how to fix their problems. I hope you guys are all as convicted by these as I am, by the way. Um, number 13. I, I mean, I, I felt like I'd be hearing like way more audibles, like, ooh, like, you know, because that's how I felt when I read it. Uh, number 13. I listen briefly and then begin talking. Three more. Number 14. I tend to contradict what has been said. Number 15. I misinterpret what has been said. Number 16, I answer before gaining real understanding. So here's the thing. So if you answered often or usually, so often or usually three or more times, often or usually three or more times, or even just occasionally eight or more times. So often or usually three or more times, I didn't make a slide for that, sorry, or occasionally eight or more times, you have listening issues. Like, you can get better at listening. Should I ask for a show of hands as to how many people in this room that applies to? How many people had either occasionally or oft, often or usually three or more times or occasionally eight or more times? Raise your hand if that was you. The rest of you are liars. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, there are people that are actually really good listeners. One of them happens to be Jesus. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to... So how do we get better at listening? Well, we're going to look at the scene in, um, in John chapter 4, and we're going to see how Jesus did it. The title of the message is called Listen Well. And our question becomes, re like, really listening, not just hearing, but listening, is a heart thing. So the question we're going to look at today, we're going, to, we're going to look at how do we get better at not just hearing the words that are said, but what the heart is behind them. How do we get our heart in tune with their heart, whether the there is the person you're talking to out, the, the person in the waiting room in Sean's gospel moment at the, at the doctor's office, or whether it's the person you're sitting next to right now. How do you get better at listening for what they're actually saying as opposed to like the words they're using? Because until we get to that step, we haven't really communicated. All we've done is exchanged information. If all we're doing is using my, listening to words and then replying with words and we're not trying to get to the heart of the issue, we're just exchanging information. That's what, that's what we are inundated with all the time now. What social media has done for us, and not just social media, but the internet in general, is it's made it really easy for us to share information without ever sharing hearts. Because the only way you really get to heart things is having dialogue with hearts that are willing to hear. So with that, open up your Bibles to John chapter 4 if you have not done so. I need to. And we're going to take a look at these three things that Jesus is going to show us about how do we learn to listen with our hearts in John chapter 4. And we're going to see that what we have to do, and we've talked about this one a few times already in this summer series we're in, we need to take notice, right? The second thing we need is we need to look for entry gates. 
And then the third thing is we need to show them Jesus. So those are the three things he's going to show us. So let's just jump right into it. I'm going to start and and I'm going to pick up the passage um, where Abby did in in John 4 and verse 7. And it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to, to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you, how is it that a Jew asks for a drink from a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Guys, understand something. This woman comes out in the middle. So if you don't know anything about the history of this time or what's going on between even Jews and Samaritans, you're not really getting the, the full effect of what's happening in this moment. But understand something right up front. The woman came to the well just to get water. Jesus came to the well to look for the woman. Right? Jesus came to the well because he was he physically in his in his in his humanity was he thirsty probably, but he came looking for her. How do we know that? Because in verse 4, which we skipped, it says that we that they had to go through Samaria. Guys, technically they did not have to go through Samaria geographically. In fact, a good Jew, a rabbi would rarely go through Samaria. To, to get from Jerusalem to Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel, they would not go through Samaria. They would actually cross the Jordan River, go up, and then cross back over because they didn't want to so associate with the Samaritans. So one, he didn't. What it, what it means by he had to go through Samaria is his father told him, son, you're going through Samaria. He is fulfilling his father's will. That's why he, so he gets there and he's like, okay, I'm here what do you have me do? This woman comes in the middle of the day, which is not when women would come to get water in the heat of the day. And she says, and he says, hey, woman, please give me a drink. And she's like, wait a minute. I, what, what, what are you, a Jew, even doing talking to a Samaritan woman? There are two things there. One, that the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. If you don't know why, again, it's because you don't know your Old Testament. Guess what I'm going to be teaching through in the training center this fall? Old Testament survey right here on Tuesdays in the morning or the evenings. More information will be coming out. But guys, this is my favorite class to teach, and here's why. Because the New Testament comes to life when you know your Old Testament. We're going to go through the Old Testament chronologically. We're going to see Jesus throughout the whole thing and the gospel message throughout the whole thing. You've never seen the Old Testament the way this class will help you see it. So get here on Tuesdays for this Old Testament survey class. But guys, part of it is, it's, it's what happened, and, and if you're doing the chronological reading that we're doing, in 2 Kings 17, we just read it, I think, this last week, what happened is the Assyrians come and attack the ten northern tribes. They take away a bunch of the, of the Jewish people in the northern area. That's where Samaria is, the northern part of, of Israel. They take a bunch of them away. Here's what else they do. They bring a bunch of Assyria. Assyria is like... Um, modern-day Syria where Jonah went, Nineveh, they send a whole bunch of Assyrians back to Israel to intermix and breed with the Jewish people. So the reason the, the, the pure Jews down south didn't want to interact with the half-breed Jews up north is because they didn't see them as really Jewish. So there's this whole like cultural conflict going on in that country. Does that sound a little bit like what we're... I mean, our conflict might not be Jewish and Samaritan, but it certainly is believer and unbeliever. It's the culturally, like the, the moral majority and those um, LBGTQ people. It's, it's, you just pick the camp. Right? What we've gotten really good at is siloing up, but that's always been part of human nature. 
It's what's going on here. So one, Samaritan, he's like, she's like, whoa, you're not supposed to be speaking to me because you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Here's the other part. He's a, and this is the most important part for what we're going to talk about today. He's a rabbi. She sees him by the way he looks, by the way he's dressed. She sees him as a rabbi, as a teacher. She doesn't know he's Jesus. She just knows he's a... Rabbis didn't speak to women. So, they, so, he's, so, when he's, so she says, what are you doing talking to me as a woman? Here's what he's showing her. Humility. Okay, so for him to come to her as a, as a Jewish rabbi and speak to the Samaritan woman, he is showing himself as being humble because no other Jewish rabbi she'd ever interacted with, if she ever did, had, was any, wouldn't even give her the time of day, let alone enter into a conversation with her. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, here, and how, what does that have to do with listening? One, we, gotta, we need to listen with humility. Right? We need to listen with the ears of Philippians chapter 2. Because Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that we're to have this mind in ourselves that was also in Christ. That though he existed in the form of God, though he was God, he did not take grasping a hold of that as like something to grasp a hold of, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, taking on the form of human flesh. Why? Because he wanted to humble himself even to the point of death. Guys, Paul is telling us in that passage, we're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to go, I'm not, like, like he is better than her. But he wants to show her, look, I don't see myself as better than you. Like personally, individually, right now, we are on the same level. And I want to show you that by interacting with you. Right? We need to be way more like that. Okay, so let's keep going with the passage. He says, verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift. So she's like, what are you doing talking to me? And he said, if you knew the gift of God. So what is the gift of God? Eternal life, salvation, it's the gospel. If you knew the gift of God, grace, salvation, and who it is that is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now look at verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this, where do I get, where do you get this living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob, who... He gave us this well and drank from it, excuse me, himself, as, as did his sons and his livestock. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will, future tense, that I will give, will never be thirsty again. That word there again actually means forever. Will never forever be thirsty the water that I will give him will become, in a, will become in him a wellspring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. And then get this part. Hang on to this part for our second point. And have to come to the well to draw water. Guys, that isn't just because she doesn't want to do the physical labor. There's a reason she doesn't want to come to the well and we're going to get there in the second point. Jesus you notice how like, Jesus is wanting to talk about eternal things, eternal life, eternal like living water. And she, but look at what she does in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? This is her way of draw, trying to draw Jesus back into a, like a, a debate, a, a religious conversation. 
Right? This is her, this is her way of getting, he's trying to address her. She wants to talk about everybody but her. Why? Because she doesn't want the eyes on her. Like, so, so she starts bringing up other stuff. Guys, this is no different. Whenever I'm out with, having lunch with, like, if Sean and I are meeting for lunch or something during the week or, or at a coffee shop or something, I, I often will say to them, they, I don't have to anymore, but I would say, hey, when, if one of your friends comes up while we're at the restaurant, don't introduce me as your pastor. Not because I'm ashamed of being a pastor, but because it completely changes the conversation. All of a sudden, they start talking about God, whether they believe in God or not. I mean, it's, it's just like this part of this, like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I, you know I, I, they, their conversation starts to change. Less true now than it was when I first went into ministry 15 years ago. But it's amazing how fast even the unbelieving world will default to religious conversation unless they just want to argue with you. But here's the other part. It's just like the, the culturally moral person wanting to constantly bring up, like, something of the world's immorality and vice versa. It's like when you're engaging with an unbeliever and they're like, oh, well, you Christians just hate homosexuals and you just this and you... And why are they saying... And you're just trying to talk to them about them, about who they are, right? They immediately want to default to an argument. Why? Because it gets, to, it gets, our, it gets the conversation off of them. So what this woman is trying to do is she's trying to say, hey, I just I want to derail this conversation off of me as fast as I can. So she says, oh, by the way, my, my lineage is Jewish also. That's, her, that's what she's saying when she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? And, and we need to understand why this is the way the world responds when we come and say, hey, we, we, we know the secret to eternal life. Because I don't want you to forget our Romans study, because we're coming back there in about three weeks, Lord willing. I keep mentioning Romans. I want you to keep your finger here in John. Turn to the right of where we are, to Romans chapter 1, because I want, I want to remind you that, that this summer series that we're doing called Gospel Conversations, where we're really talking about the practical, like, boots on the ground, how do we engage in the gospel, it is being informed through our theology, so, so when we are interacting with the unbelieving world and we're wondering why are they behaving the way they are, that we need to constantly be reminding ourselves the theology that Paul is teaching us in Romans. So in Romans 1, in verse 24, remember, it's been a while since we were there, so I just want to read it again. I want you to see it with your own eyes. In Romans 1, 24, he says, Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they, and this is the problem throughout human history, and it is the problem in our world today, they exchanged exchange the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So understand this. Guys, the, abor the abortion debate that Roe versus you know, overturned, the Dobbs decision overturned, all that, everything that was talked about during that gospel moment that was prayed for. Guys, that is not a debate about the rights of women. It isn't even at its heart. It's not just a debate about life. It's a discussion about glory. Guys, the reason the abortion debate really matters for us as believers, and this is where our biblical worldview has to come, has to inter interject into this, is because every human being that has ever been conceived is an image bearer of the Almighty. Amen. That's the conversation that we need to be having. 
This isn't just about rights here or there or when does life begin or not. And, and they, wanna, they will want to derail us into all of these different kinds of arguments. What we want to try to pull them back into is, guys, there is a God in heaven who has made everyone in his image the pinnacle, I think it was Audrey or somebody prayed it, the pinnacle of all creation is you and I. As crazy as that is, that's what makes the debate so important. People, guys, people need to come into contact with this gospel truth. And the only way they're going to really come into contact with this gospel truth is through the people who have come to know and believe and can now communicate the gospel. Right? That's it. That's, that's God's plan. So take a look at your talking points, question number two. So look at the second question on the back of your little insert. And we're going to look at how, guys, the, the reason, so our, um, when we changed the name of our church a couple summers ago, and we, and we, we morphed the mission statement a little bit, we talked about how, and, and RJ read it, during our opening, talking about how cross-trained church exists to bring God glory by spreading the gospel, or in spreading the gospel, um, by training people to teach God's truth. The reason that we're so committed to that is because the world needs to know the truth. But not as bricks to throw at them, as bread to feed them. Right? And so take a look at the, the um, second talking points question. We teach people how to listen by the way we listen to them. We teach people how to listen... Now, now, guys, remember, this isn't just engaging with the world. There's a lot of young people in this room right now. Parents, we teach our children how to listen by how we listen to them. Siblings, young people, as you're talking with your brother or sister, do you listen to them or do you just expect them to listen to you? Now, I made that statement. I pulled it out of the book. We teach people how to listen by how we listen to them. What's true about that statement? I'm asking. What's true about that statement? I'm sorry? Mutual respect. We're demonstrating that, that, we, that we have something like, like Jesus was doing with this woman. Hey, there is, I, I, I want to enter into some level of mutual respect for you. I want to hear what you have to say. What else? Safe. safe. You're, you're showing them that I'm a safe place for you to talk. Good. What else? Okay, it sets an example. Good. Shows that we care. Shows shows us some some form of of love. Shows that they're valued. Like, when, like I talked about this a few weeks ago. When 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 you actually even if it's even if all you have is ten seconds at the checkout line to just look the person in the eyes and smile at them and say, hey. I hope you have a great day. Like you didn't, I, I, I mean, maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's, hey, God loves you. Hey, let me tell you that, that, there, that there's a God. But, but maybe it really is just looking at them and smiling and going, you know what, I hope you have a great day today. I'll pray for that. Right? Just, just the act of looking them in the eyes is what really mattered. It wasn't what came out of my mouth. It was like I was seen. That person stopped long enough to actually notice I exist. And he didn't just want something from me. Okay, so what's wrong with that statement? We teach people how to listen by the way we listen. What could be wrong with that statement? Rambling. That's a great one. I wrote that one down too. I'm like, because some people just, guys, there's a brother. um, I don't know if he's here today or not, but he's been in here a few times. 
and, and, and he will, it's like one long run-on sentence. I'm not sure exactly where he's at with Jesus, but, but like to try to get, like he'll just keep running ideas. And this happens often when people come in and they're not followers of Christ, but they're in here. Like, and they start talking to me after the service. Like they don't, they're afraid to pause and let me ask them a question. So it's just this, it's this long ramble, right? And, and what I've tried to do is go, hey, can, can we go, can, when there is a breath, like just, a, like, just take a breath. Like, oh, get right there. Hey, 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 can, hey, hey, can we go back to this statement that you made a minute ago? Now, just the act of doing that does a couple of things. One, it hopefully gets him off of his ramble or her. But two, it shows him or her that I actually heard what they said. Because I said, hey, I actually heard something you said a minute ago, and I would love to talk to you about it. Can we talk about that for a minute? You made this statement. Can I ask you why you made that statement? Right? Like that kind, like that kind of stuff has a, so it, it, it helps. So if you have a rambler that you're engaged with, like interacting with, like stop, like help, hey, 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 can we go back and just talk about this thing that you just said? Some of you are smiling because the rambler that you're engaged with is the person you're sitting next to, Right? So, so this is a great little tool for that. What, what else might it be? So, so, I, so I had written down um, other ways that it could be wrong is um, they, they just ramble. They're trying to avoid any real heart conversation, right? That they, um, that they might, um, I guess the other thing I put down was like they're, they're, the, the big thing for, to me is they want to keep things very casual and not get to heart issues, and that's where, like, trying to find those, which will get us to our next point here in a minute, trying to find those ways of, of entering into those heart spaces becomes so critical. So how do we do that? Well, how we do that, um, again, these are out of the book, is um, questions that you can ask to form entry gates. So here's some questions. I'm just going to read them real quick. They're on, they're on the overhead. They're, they're also in the book, so hopefully you have a copy of the book. It says this. Ask some, ask some or all the following questions or questions like them when you are talking with a not yet Christian over the next week. So this, was the, this is like the homework that's in the study that we're doing this week. What would you like, so this is, what, this is what you would ask somebody. What would you like to say to a Christian if you knew they would listen? If someone wanted to talk to you about God, how would you like him or her to approach you? Have you ever had a Christian attempt to convert you? If so, what thoughts or feelings did that experience stir up in you? You want to get an education about how to witness to people? Ask them questions about what they think about Christians and then why they think that way. What kind of experiences, if any, did you have in organized religion when you were growing up? What do you understand the core message of Christianity to be? What do you find to be the most difficult thing to buy into? So rather than tell them, here's the gospel, ask them the question. What do you think the gospel is? Without using the word gospel. What would, you, what would it take to motivate you to give up your Sunday morning to attend church? Have you ever met anyone or experienced anything that made God seem real to you? If God called you on your cell phone and gave you the opportunity to ask him one question, what would it be and why? Now guys, again, these are just to try to figure out where their heart is, not just in their relationship with Christ. That we're not even there yet. We're just trying to figure out what matters to them because those are the entry gates. And how about our favorite? 
how can I pray for you right now? Right? How can I pray for you? That'll, that'll, if, if you actually listen and they're, and they're willing to risk a little bit, maybe, the Holy Spirit's just tweaking them. I mean, if, if somebody's not willing to risk, like you do that, we do that all the time at restaurants, hey, how can I pray for you right now? And they're like, well, you know, um, the weather. What that's telling, that's okay. All right, we'll pray for that. I'll pray for that for you. But what that's telling me is the Holy Spirit's not working on that person. That's not my fail, right? That's the Holy Spirit. We can't open up a heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But when someone says, hey, how can I, when you say, how can I pray for you right now? And they're like, yeah, I'm really struggling. I mean, and I've had this happen. Yeah, I'm really struggling with my spouse right now, husband, wife. What, and you're like, oh, wow. Or we had one, we were, up in, we were up in Pine Top one time. We're like, hey, how can I pray for you right now? We're in this tiny little diner, all sandwiched together in this little tiny place. We're, we're in there, we're, we're like, hey, how, we asked this lady. She's a little bit pregnant. We're like, hey, how can we pray for you right now? She turns around and she runs away. Like literally in this teeny little diner. And, every, and it's a little, little town. Everybody knows her. And everybody in the diner turns and looks at us. And like, what did you do to her? And we're all like, oh, this is just going to get real. And she's over there sobbing. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Right? And so eventually we kind of get back, and she makes her way back over, and she was having a real, she was just terrified, one, the baby, two, her family situation, three, her finances, all of it. But, but, but it wasn't all I, I just asked her the same question I always ask. How can we pray for you? The Holy Spirit had prepped her for the conversation. So that's part of what we need to come to grips with. So with that, that brings us to our second point. So the first thing was we need to take notice. Jesus is taking notice of this woman. The second thing is we need to look for entry gates. So go back. I think I left you in Romans, but go back to John, and we're going to pick it up in verse 16. It says, And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you were right in what you're saying, you have no husband. Do you see it? There it is. There's the entry gate. Now what we don't get to see in this, because it's black and white, it's written in scripture, but it's not, we're not there in the moment, is we don't see the look on her face. We don't see the look in his eyes. My guess is, she's not like, hey, I don't have a husband. My guess is, she's like this, I don't have a husband. Because the reason she's there when she's there, and Jesus notices this, is like, hey, a woman does not come to the well in the middle of the day unless she's trying to avoid people. What is it about this woman that is making her want to avoid people? Now, whether it's his divinity, my guess would be how does Jesus know to ask about the husband? One, He's probably got a pretty good idea by how she's dressed, by the time of day. He's taking all that in. The other part is, my guess is the Holy Spirit is telling him, hey, ask about her husband. Because Jesus did not know everything all the time while he was here in humanity. I'm not gonna, I don't have time to teach on that. But he did, he did his, some of his divine knowledge was masked by his humanity. But he says to her, do you have a husband? She says, no, what we don't see, here's the thing, her shame is what is keeping her from wanting to be in relationship with people. It's what caused her to go to the well in the middle of the day. It's why it is the entry gate. She feels massive shame about her lifestyle. And if, and, and if we can find that entry point for people, whether it's shame or pain 
or unforgiveness or fear, like those raw emotions, if we can find those entry gates, it accelerates the conversation. He could have gotten into this debate with her about the religiosity of the Samaritans and the Jews. And she's going to try to go back there in just a minute. But what he pulls her into is a conversation about how she feels. Because that will open people's hearts up. Now he'll get to the truth. He doesn't answer her feelings with feelings. But he wants to get to the point of saying, so how do you feel about that? So he's going to press the point even further. And he says, yeah, you don't have a husband. For you have five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now you say, wait a minute, that sounds so harsh. This is where we have to stop and go, we know Jesus' character. He was not looking at her. I, 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 I have, there's no part of me that believes that, that our Savior, that we see throughout Scripture, that is just entering into this conversation with this woman, did it to make her feel bad that she's had five different men in her life that she slept with. He's looking at her with eyes that say, I know, I know your story, and I'm still willing to engage with you. He is inviting her in. Now we'll see because of how she responds that that has to have been the case. He is not saying, yeah, you're a sinner, get right. He's saying, I've seen every sin you've ever committed. And I love you anyway. That has never been her experience. She's never had a man treat her that way, including the one who's probably at home in her house right now sleeping because he's a bum. Let's keep going. He says, The woman said to her, See, or sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You see, she's trying to drag him back into our. She's like, even gets into the details. Verse 20 Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that, that Jerusalem is the place to, that you ought to worship. She's, she's trying, she is, like, I mean, like he is, he is like pressure cooker, cooking this conversation into a spot, and she is avoiding it with everything she can think of. Get the eyes off me, get the eyes off me, get the eyes off me. I, I do not want to have this conversation. Help me. So she starts just throwing stuff out there. And, and, and again, so much like what the world shows, but he is just going to keep pressing her on what really matters. So she's talking about why is it this mountain or that mountain? He starts to, trans, he starts to move the conversation towards here's the solution to the shame you're feeling. I'm the solution to the shame you're feeling, which will be our last point that goes quickly, and we'll get there in just a minute. But look at what he says. Verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem you will, you will worship the Father. He's saying the day is coming where there will be no need for a temple. Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us this. He says, do you not know that you are a temple of the living God? And that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God lives in you? That you are not your own, that you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body? Guys, this place only is a temple in the context that we are in it. We're the temple. You're the temple. The Holy Spirit does not indwell buildings anymore. He indwells people. And he's saying, this day is coming, and oh, by the way, now is... 
When true, verse 23, when true worshipers will worship the spirit in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here for a minute, and I'm going to step away from my Bible because I want to take a little aside. It's not what this message is about, spirit and truth. But I do want to take a minute and just talk about us, meaning cross-train. Guys, my history in church, which has only been over the last 20-something years, has either been churches tend to be very spirit-centered and word-light, or very word-centered and spirit-light. And frankly, that was very much who we were for maybe the first five or six years of our church. Yeah, we prayed, but not not a lot. Yeah, we said we were people that were seeking the spirit, but not openly and outwardly. And then a few years ago, we decided, okay, so we want to, we've been talking about wanting the Holy Spirit to be more a part of our gatherings, but but we're not, we leave no room for him to do it. We're just so incredibly structured. So we kind of took some of those structures off. What does that create? You know what it creates? A glorious mess. Because the people that are over here going, I'm spirit, like I'm spirit-centered, Right? Are not don't the fact that I teach for forty five minutes on a Sunday drives them nuts, it just does. And the people that are over here that are word centered, that are like the word is the thing, are sitting here going, man, our prayer time just frustrates the snot out of me. What we're trying to get to, like, I, we were we had an elder meeting on on um, on Tuesday night. Well, we were we were talking about it again during our elder meeting. We're trying to keep a safe place. For spirit and truth to actually do what Jesus just told us. Now, some of us are so, guys, some of us know the truth backwards and forwards, but we've never been touched. The Pharisees were that way. Guys, think about this. From from the time of Moses, really, to the time that Jesus came... God's people were truth, 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 truth. The Spirit had left the temple. The temple had been destroyed, rebuilt. The Spirit came back for a while, then he left again. They were all truth. That's what created the Pharisees. Some of us know the truth really well, and we've never actually been touched by the Holy Spirit. But some of us had an experience in the Spirit, and we think... That was the Lord. And guys, that is just as dangerous. I do not want to be a Pharisee. I also don't want to be deceived. Because here's the thing. Cults, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, they talk about having an experience where you feel the Holy Spirit moving. Does not mean God is against feelings. Does not mean Jesus is anti-experience. It just means we better filter those things through the truth of God's word. Because the enemy, Satan, is really good at recreating those experiences and making them look just like Jesus. So we have to take those experiences and filter them, not on our own, but with other brothers and sisters in Christ, through the filter of the Word of God. And therein lies the glorious mess. 
Because we're trying to be a place where both of those kinds of people, the more spirit-leaning and the more word-leaning, can worship together, not in spite of one another, not just to, okay, I guess I just have to put up with that, but in a way that says, I need that in my life. I am way too far over here, and I need a little of this. Or I'm way too far over here, and I need a little of that. I don't, and, and, and the reason I know I need those things is because Jesus just told me that, that true worshipers worship him in spirit and in truth. Now let me step back into the message, and you'll be hearing more about that, because the glorious mess will just continue as long as we continue to fight for it, which we will continue to do because we think it is that important as a church. If you would, take a look at your last talking points question. So back to the message and how Jesus is interacting with this woman and she's trying to derail onto this religious conversation and he's like trying to point, get her to the heart issues. So, here, so here's the last question. It says, how good are you at active or reflective listening? How do you get better at hearing what people are really saying above what they are actually saying? There's a quote in the book this week and again, this is just a flashback kind of point of, of what the chapter's about, but he says, if people aren't coming to us in spiritual conversations on our terms, we have to go to them and give up our need to control the conversation. The fact that, so basically what he's saying, what, what the author of the book is saying is, guys, the world is not out there going, hey, I need Jesus. The world is out there going, I don't want Jesus. We have to show them that, but we have to get there, we have to start where Jesus started with this woman. Start on her terms and then get to him which is our last point. So how do we do that? Here's some questions. I stole these out of the book. There's a bunch more in the book. So here's a way to reflectively listen. Remember, remember how bad we were at listening, those 16 questions? Here's a great way to, st to start training yourself. And while you're talking to somebody, again, works great with your spouse, what we're going to talk about at the marriage retreat on day two, which, by the way, you need to get signed up. There's already like 13 or 14 couples signed up, so um, get signed up because we want to make sure we have room. So if I'm hearing you right, so as someone's talking, you say, hey, so if I'm hearing you right, this is what I'm hearing you say. And they might go, yeah, and they might go, no, you just missed it completely. Wow, you really feel sad, scared, something, when you think about this situation that they were just sharing with you. Now you've taken it from the, con from the, from the details of the topic to the feeling, the heart issue. And that will open up conversation. And the other one is, wow, it seems like the big thing for you, the big thing for you seems to be blank. They've, they've, they, now they know they've, you've, been, you've heard them, and hopefully you can enter into a better conversation with them. Which brings us to our last point. So, the, how, do we, so how do we get better at listening to, with hearts, to hearts? One, we have to take notice of people, right? The second thing that we have to do is we have to look for these entry gates and, and help create them by asking good questions. And the last thing is we have to show them Christ. So just pick it up in our passage, our last point. And we're going to land this, this thing right now. And it says in verse um, 26, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
Now, guys, you can read that little line, like, okay, that's great. But, but if you don't understand, in the, in the original Greek, and I've taught on this at other times when we've been teaching in different um, series, he actually said, he could say, I speak to you. He could also say, the one who speaks to you is he. What he says is, ego ami. He says, I, I am the one who speaks to you. What she would have heard is, the I am is speaking to you. It's the same thing he says in John chapter 6. It's the same thing he says twice in John chapter 8. Before Abraham was, ego ami, I am. That's why they wanted to kill him. So he's saying to her, the one who speaks to you is the great I am. I'm going to show you who I am. And just then the disciples come back and they marvel that he's talking with a woman. Remember that? It's like, wait a minute, you're a rabbi. You're not supposed to be talking to a woman. What are you doing? He's like, what do you seek? What do you want from her is what he's asking. But he does what they, what they want to ask, but they won't. So the woman left the water jar and went away into the town and said this. Guys, and we're going to finish right here. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see what? Come and see who? Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Now implied in that statement is, because she wants to come back to him, is tell me, come and see this man who has told me every broken part of me and wants to be in relationship with me. Not because he wants something from me, but just because he cares. She's like, could this be the Messiah? Could, could this be Messiah? Could this be the one? We need to get better at entering into that kind of space. In Acts, you can turn there if you want. This is the last place we'll go. In Acts chapter 4. It's to the right of where we are. And the reason I wanted to turn here, um, even though I'm over time, is because it's so easy for us to say, yeah, but he was Jesus. So this is a scene where Peter and John have been sharing the gospel. They've been arrested a couple times. They've been released. They've they've seen uh, mass conversions. They've seen all kinds of stuff. They end up healing this guy. And in verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, do you see that's the qualifications for for being a disciple of Christ? uneducated common people. doesn't say pastor. doesn't say elder. doesn't say deacon. Like, these are just ordinary, uneducated goofballs. And he said, and they, but here's, here is the qualification. They recognize them as having been with Jesus. And then it says, but seeing the man healed, they're like, we can't argue with this. This man was healed. What are we going to do? So they get together and they say, stop telling people that you healed him in the name of Christ. They're just saying, stop telling people about Jesus. Stop showing them Christ. You can feel, you can feel, you can heal, like you can touch their needs, but don't tell them about Jesus. And do you see what their answer is? Look at what he said. Look what Peter, Peter and John say. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to listen to God, you be the judge. But as for us, we cannot stop speaking about that which we've seen and heard. As the music team comes up, 